Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are discussing House of Wax from 2005, directed by Jean-May Coyette-Serra, written by Chad Hayes and Carrie W. Hayes, based on the 1932 short story The Waxworks by Charles S. Belden. Starring Alicia Cuthbert, Chad Michael Murray, Brian Van Holt, Jared Padalecki, Robert Richard, and Paris Hilton. In this film, a group of college students on a road trip encounter a creepy wax museum and a town where things are not as they seem. If you're new to the show, we are going to discuss this spoiler-free for the first 15 or 20 minutes, but after that we're going to play some transition music and get into spoiler mode where we walk through the plot in detail and review the film. This was a request by a few people, uh, Marnie, Sheila B., Tammy G., and Taylor. So thank you to all of you for requesting this. I hadn't seen it and had always been curious. Have you seen it, Ashvin? I don't think I'd seen it before. I I always thought it was a direct uh, remake of the old film, but it, it isn't, right? No, I mean, it's an adaptation of that original. It's a short story, but it was never published. It, it, he made a play out of it. So it's kind of an adaptation of a play um, by oh, Charles okay. S. Belden. But it's been adapted multiple times. So this isn't necessarily considered a remake of the 1953 movie, I think, just because there's been these different adaptations. There's Mystery of the Wax Museum was the first one in 1933. House of Wax in 1953 starring Vincent Price. And one of the characters in this movie is named Vincent, which I assume is an Mm -hmm. homage there. Makes sense. Uh, that was one of the first films shot by a major studio in 3D, by the way, that oh, 1953 wow. House of Wax. Cool. There's an Italian film called Mill of the Stone Women in 1960. That was the first Italian horror film shot in color. A lot of his- historic moments with this. Yeah, with this franchise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Chamber of Horrors in 1966. And there are more horror movies dealing with wax as well. So I'm not sure how much they closely resemble the original story for them to not be included in the list of adaptations, but there it is. Sweet. I think the, another historical uh, first is uh, Paris Hilton's first film. Is it Paris Hilton's first film? I guess it probably is, huh? Uh, I just assume so, but uh, I don't know. It may not have been. I'm not sure. I want to talk about Paris Hilton, though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I feel like it's a bit of a trend right now for our culture to look back on the things we did even like 10 15 years ago with different you know different site and i think right now we're looking back at the way we've treated some young famous people especially women and realizing that we just chewed them up and spit them out we asked them inappropriate questions in interviews we allowed other celebrities to be cruel to them on camera for our entertainment like Britney Spears and Justin Bieber come to mind. Dude, mm. I, I think I talked about this in another episode, but if you look up videos, I don't know what to Google, but I saw a video on YouTube of celebrities just straight up sexually harassing Justin Bieber. Like, Oh, my God. The crowd like would cheer on at award shows. Yeah, there's a compilation. Like, Yikes. adult yeah. women would try to like kiss him on the lips when he was a child. They'd grab uh-huh. his butt, and he'd he's literally saying, stop, please stop. And they're not stopping, and the crowd is cheering, and it's just like, what are we doing? That is gross. Yeah. What is wrong with people? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy what was tolerated back then. 
Yes, and I think it's still tolerated to a degree. I think the Kardashians maybe are today's version of these people. They aren't like getting shit on. Yeah, a little bit. Or, yeah, yeah. I think it specifically the targets are often people who feel famous just for being famous, or they're coming from a wealthy family, or famous j- just for being attractive. But um, mm. yeah, yeah. I think a lot See, of times these people are working a lot harder than a lot of us realize too. I think so. Yeah, and it's a shame it takes us like 10, 20 years for us to like realize and un- unpack or like yeah, for them to like kind of be able to share that yeah, experience with her. Right. And she's since said like the ditzy personality was a character that she created for I believe the Simple Life that show, oh, the reality Paris show. Paris Hilton, right? Yeah. Yeah, oh, Paris okay. Hilton now. Yep. So, yeah. I mean, so I know some people would be like, yeah, right, she's using that as an excuse, but like her and the Kardashians specifically, it's like they've accomplished a lot, not only within their like acting or just modeling or being celebrities, but they've started other businesses and other pursuits and had success. Yes, they have a leg up because of who they are, but yeah, I don't think you achieve all those things just because you're attractive and famous. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's uh, I mean... I, that's like what eighty percent of it. Yeah, I mean that's a, a a legit debate. I don't mean to shame anybody who feels the other way, but yeah, I, I think that there is a legitimate beef at the heart of it all. Like, hey, you're attractive and you come from a wealthy family, so everything's just handed to you. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, this the some of that, and then but yeah, right. There's also a little bit of like, uh, yeah, their, their own uh, thing. So yeah, and with everyone, every person, it's different. Right. Like what, yeah. what that balance looks like. Yeah. But on this note, there was a marketing campaign launched to promote the film that was entitled "See Paris Die," to <laughs> capitalize on the appearance of wow. Paris Hilton in the film and and address the beef that many horror fans had with her being cast in it. Yeah. What I I don't think I fully ever understood like her the or like her appeal. So she was famous. So she's the daughter of uh the, whoever owns the Hilton hotels, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay, and then she was in a TV show, and then she came to a movie. Is that right? Yeah, she was. I think she got very famous for the show The Simple Life, where Did her. Did you watch that? No, but I've probably seen an episode or two. Okay. It was on. I think it was like in the middle of its run around 2005 when this movie came out where her and boy what was the other Lionel Nicole Richie Lionel Richie's daughter yeah I feel like they would like be told to like do some farm work and be like uh okay (laughs) and that was like a reality TV show show. it's a reality show yeah oh okay okay and then she had a sex tape come out in 2003 which you know took the world by storm and that yeah, sex tapes weren't really a huge thing back then. Yeah, so yeah, that's a really interesting parallel because uh, yeah, you're talking about the Kardashians earlier too. So also coming up through TV shows and then a sex tape involved. Right. Uh, yeah, it's very, very interesting. Yeah, yeah, I feel like it's a. Uh, it's often people who we just like hypersexualize too. <laughs> sure. Well, does that hypersexualizing happen before the sex tape or after the sex tape? I think. Uh, a little bit of both. Okay. Yeah, it kind of feeds into each other. And I think we feel like we are justified in sexualizing somebody once they've shown us their naked bodies through whether they, it was intentional or not. Like, yeah, it's just right, fair right. game. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, she yeah, won the Golden no, Raspberry for Worst Supporting Actress for this movie, too. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. Yeah. Which I don't think... Uh, 
when you see as many horror movies as we do, her I don't think her performance was was worthy of a raspberry. It's yeah, it's, it's not worthy of an Oscar, but it's not worthy of a raspberry. Yeah, this has been way worse. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else we got here. So fire, we talked about all those adaptations. I think fire is a common theme in many of them, and. Uh, I think that's because the world's most famous wax museum, Madame Tussauds in London, caught fire in 1925, and that's what inspired Charles S. Belden's story here. So, Oh, cool. Yeah, the House of Wax film from 1953, I know, includes fire. I think Mystery of the Wax Museum in the 30s does as well. And then this one contains a climactic sequence involving fire, and the fire actually got so out of control on the set that... Warner Brothers and the studio where this was shot in Australia sued the special effects expert David Fletcher for the fire which destroyed part of the studio. Yeah, sounds like that damage is like still there today. I think they ended up just demolishing what, oh. what was damaged. But yeah, I see. Yeah, kind of funny that it book this whole like saga of wax museum horror was bookended by two real world fires. Yeah, seriously. Uh, which, I don't know, wax uh, is all about fire, right? Because it's very flammable, I imagine. Well, it's not flammable. That's why candles are made out of it. It just melts. Oh, I thought it's the wax that burns. That's true. You're right. It does burn. Okay, I don't understand science. I don't understand wax. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so okay, the the wick, so does it suck up the wax somehow once the, the heat, uh. like creates yeah. some sort of thing where it's sucking up the wax and burning the wax. That sounds right. And then the wax below is just melting from the indirect the heat, heat above. of the wax above it burning. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. All right. Good science, Josh. <laughs> we figured out I think you, I think you covered us on that one. <laughs> yes. I was about to be like, wax doesn't catch on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great uh, fire lesson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This feels a little bit like an Urbanoia movie, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, very similar to, like, Kills Have Eyes. Uh, what else? Like a Rob Zombie yeah, type Wrong thing? Turn. Oh, Wrong Turn, yeah. 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 Sure. yeah uh, I mean, it's got the same actress as Wrong Turn, doesn't it? Alicia Cutforth, was she? She wasn't in Wrong Turn. That was oh, okay. Alicia, or Elisha, wait, Eliza <laughs> Dushku or something? What's her name? Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. What did we see Alicia Cuthbert in then? Uh, I don't think we've seen her in anything. Ah, she looks super familiar. Well, she was in The Girl Next Door, like the oh. the year before this came out, and she's wasn't she in um, Twenty Four as his daughter? Oh, yeah, you're probably right. Oh, okay, so she she hasn't been in like sometimes I thought she was like a horror queen. She was like in a horror movie last year or the year before. Okay, maybe she's been in some other horror that I'd, I just haven't seen. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think I just confused her with someone else. Gotcha. Uh, boy. So let's see. D- uh, this director, Jamais Coyet, boy, this pronunciation, Jamais Coyet Serra directed Orphan from 2009 and The Shallows from 2016. We just talks about that. Yeah, we did just talk about that. Are they going to hear that? They will have already heard that discussion in the mm-hmm. Night Swim episode. We talked about aquatic horror and The Shallows is one I'd like to see. Boy, what is that movie I was trying to think of in that episode? Something feats. 47 Meters Down? Is that it? Oh, that sounds right. Yeah. Something like that? Good call. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, this is Jean-Mais Coyette Serra's first feature film. And then the Hayes brothers here who wrote it also wrote The Conjuring, Annabelle, The Conjuring 2, 
and The Turning more recently. This film has a Rotten Tomatoes critic score of 28% and a user score of 43%, which is almost identical to Night Swim's. I know, right? <laughs> Sorry, everybody. We just recorded Night Swim, and now we're still in Night Swim mode. Yeah. The budget here was $40 million, which is pretty pretty high for a 2005 slasher. Mm-hmm. And the box office was $70 million, which sh- shouldn't have been enough to turn a profit in the theaters, but it supposedly did $42 million in VHS and DVD rentals. So hmm. seems they, I don't know, they still may have not really quite made their money back depending on the marketing budget for this movie. Yeah, I thought I read somewhere someone was calling it like a financial success, even though it was a critical failure. But yeah, you look at those numbers, and it, yeah, it's not like that great. Yeah, I feel like it kind of. If it is a success, it kind of ekes by. Hmm. The music is done by John Ottman, who scored the usual Usual Suspects, The Cable Guy, Halloween, H Two O, Lake Placid, and Orphan, and a few Brian Singer directed X Men movies. Special effects done by KNB EFX Group. Uh, yeah, I don't have too much other background info to mention. The cover art imitates uh, Dario Argento film. I think it's an imitation of Tenebre's cover. Um, and I swear there's a few movies that have done that, but I couldn't really find those movies with a quick Google. Oh, okay. You're talking about, like, the woman with, like, wax dripping off her? Yeah, okay. the Tenebre cover has a kind of a woman with her, like, neck exposed and her hair hanging down. and It, mm. it looks a lot like this. Oh, okay. Cool. You got any have background you, ever, you want to share? Uh, no, I think you had everything I had. Uh, have you ever been to a Madame Tussauds? Madame Tussauds, I believe it's pronounced. Oh, is that pronounced? But, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Tussauds sounds like some something you do accidentally in your pants. Uh, yeah, you know Madame Tussauds? <laughs> I, I've never been to a... I, I've, have you two-hearted? I've two-hearted before on accident, <laughs> yeah. but I've never been to a wax museum. Have you? No, I never understood the appeal. Uh, like, to, are you supposed to go there and like tell your friends that you actually met the real people or something? Or like, well, yeah, I don't know why anyone goes to this. Yeah, I mean, is it just a, a display of art, or is it some sort of weird, uncanny thing going on there that I think yeah. people are drawn to? Yeah, and it's weird. Like, they're all over. Almost like every big city in the world has one. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I feel like it's. Uh, it reminds me of Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Have you ever been there? Yeah, I have. Yeah, very. Uh, yeah, built for the masses. Yes. Yeah. Generic, it feels yeah. a little lowbrow. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But. Yeah. Speaking of lowbrow, this is an extremely 2005 soundtrack featuring oh, a Disturbed. I'm just throwing shade at, at the people who are fans of Disturbed, My Chemical Romance, Deftones, Marilyn Manson. Yeah, I I saw there was an Interpol song in there, but I, I don't remember hearing it during the movie. Did you? Oh yeah, I did hear that. Oh okay, yeah, okay. briefly. They went so hard on the soundtrack in the first act of the movie, and then yeah, kind of switched to a score. There was almost no score for the first act; just yeah, teens just rocking it. out. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite Disturbed song? Uh, I only know that one that goes ooh ah ah ah. The down with the sickness. Oh, so it is, yeah. yeah. That's the only one I know. Which one do you know? Uh, I think there are other big radio hits were Stupefy and Dropping Plates. Mm. I actually like both of those better than Down With The Sickness. Oh, uh, okay. Cool. And I had a couple, a few Deftones albums. I was into them. So, yeah, I, that's a band I've been meaning to check out for a long time. They, they were pretty good, right? Yeah, they don't hold up for me when I go back and listen. A few of their songs do, but... Um, okay. 
they're kind of a cut above some of these the other bands in that genre yeah uh, are they kind of like an incubus uh or something no they were i'd call them maybe like screamo oh, but okay, like a little okay. darker than like to call them emo i think fans might get a little pissed off because they're a bit more associated with harder rock and metal type stuff but it's kind of oh, okay. like screamo cool all right yeah let's get around to listening to them anything else or should we hit the ohio connection uh, I got nothing else. Let's see the Ohio Connection. Okay, as always, our Ohio Connections are brought to us by Alex, who runs the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. If you're in the area, swing by Jukebox for great drinks and great food. Alex connects every movie we watch to our home state of Ohio for us, and Alex says, House of Wax is a slasher film directed by Jaume Coyette Serra in his feature directorial debut. It was produced in part by longtime filmmaker and producer Robert Zemeckis. Best known for his work on the Back to the Future trilogy, Forrest Gump, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and The Polar Express, Zemeckis also made a film adaptation of the prize winner of Defiance, Ohio, by Terry Ryan, starring Julianne Moore, Woody Harrelson, and Laura Dern. Terry Ryan was raised in Defiance, Ohio. Oh, nice. I've never heard of that movie, but uh, curious to check it out. That's a pretty star-studded cast. Good connection. All right, buddy. You want to get into this and go through the plot and spoil everything? Yeah, let's do it. All right, can you hold on one second, though? We're having some issues with our basement walls and our contractors here now, and I'm going to go check in with them to see if uh, they figured out the problem. Oh, okay, go for it. All right, be right back. Hey, buddy. I'm back. Hey, everything okay? I'm not sure. So, background info. There's famously a spam museum here in Minnesota. Say spam? Spam, yeah. Oh, okay. And the people that started the museum used to live in this house. And when the contractor opened up our basement walls, he realizes that the house's framing wasn't done with traditional lumber and was instead done entirely with spam. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I'm not sure how that passed code, but now it's our yeah. problem. <laughs> nice. Well, at least you got some food uh, to eat for a while. Yeah. Hopefully. I mean, we won't starve if we're ever like, locked down in the basement <laughs> yeah. for a storm. Just eat your way through the walls. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And then the house collapses on us. Yeah. <laughs> Was it the tornado? No, they, <laughs> they, ate, they ate the, the framing. <laughs> uh, okay. Nice. So this film begins with a pre-credit scene that takes place in 1974 in the kitchen of a family of four. The mother is doing wax work, pouring hot wax into molds of faces, while her son calmly eats in his high chair. The father brings in another child who is kicking and screaming, and they strap the child into his high chair where we see stains of blood from the violence he's endured from his parents on prior occasions. We hear the parents scolding him and asking why he can't be more like his brother, and the scene ends with the mother striking the child, and we transition to the title card and to the present day. One notable element of this scene is that nobody's faces are shown. We see everybody pretty much from the neck down. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting camera work. Uh, cool, cool decision. To yeah. Just show, like the bodies. What did you think of that? Uh, I liked it because uh, now you see the mom working on like a, a wax face, like a model. Uh, and that's like the only kind of face you see, and then the rest are bodies. So I, I thought it was kind of cool. It sets the tone for, uh, yeah, there, there are no 
this this movie isn't like tied to faces, but more like these fake uh, artificial faces with with that wax thing. Sure. Uh, so I, I thought it was a little different in, in something unique of the opening. What, what did you think? I, I kind of liked it. Yeah, it felt very scuzzy, a very like between 2000s and 2010. This has like a Saw vibe to it. There's a certain nastiness to this movie. Yeah, sure. And then obviously with this, them strapping him into a high chair with blood all over it. There's a, a, a slight touch of torture porn in this movie as well. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, I thought the score, though, didn't really fit in no. this opening. It, yeah. That's a it's complaint like really, with me for the almost the whole movie is that the score just does not fit the movie. And it really doesn't. Does it doesn't work. <laughs> it, it takes away from the movie on multiple yeah. occasions. It does. It does. Like this is supposed to be like a brutal scene, and it's like a whimsical score. Whimsy is the exact word I wrote down in my notes with it. Which oh, yeah. I would like. That would be good for when they first enter the wax museum. I'm oh, like, yeah. wow, look at all this. Like that is right. the music you play with that moment, but not yeah. not this to child scene. abuse. Exactly. <laughs> I agree. All right. So in the present day, which is presumably around 2005 when the film came out. We meet a bunch of college students who are planning a road trip to a football game. Two of them are twin siblings, played by Alicia Cuthbert and Chad Michael Murray. And Murray's character Nick has just recently been released from prison. So there's some tension there between him and his sister. And really between him and everybody else. He's kind of like this tough guy, brooding asshole. And the teens are all just mean to each other like they almost always are in slasher films, but it just felt like we were leaning especially hard on like brooding and angstiness. Did you feel that way as well? Yeah, I thought it was like really over the top. Uh, I thought there was like a lot of like male aggression here towards one another, just yes. like too bro or something. And then, uh, yeah, you, would you say that even the Paris Hilton and Alicia Cuthbert's character, were they... No, uh, I feel like they were friendly to each other, and, and she was Paris Hilton's character was like encouraging Carly to like, you know, you're going to do great at your job or whatever. Yeah, right. Um, but insufferable character interactions between the dudes, and that's yeah. that was a uh, the opposite of a complaint that I had with Eli Roth's recent Thanksgiving, as I felt like he effectively homaged this element of slashers, like oh. with his warring. Like boyfriend and ex boyfriend yeah, in that movie. I like I think right, he right. leaned into the cheese a little bit there. Got it. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Uh, we also learn that Nick's sister Carly is about to move to New York for a job, and she's wondering if her boyfriend Wade, played by Jared Padalecki, will be moving with with her. And I believe they're in like Louisiana. I think that's where this oh, takes place. So okay, Somewhere okay. around there. Yeah. And they're headed to this big football game in, in separate cars, and when their shortcut doesn't work out because of a road closure, they end up camping for the night in a random grassy clearing. And there's a lot of dude bros, bros trying to be tough around each other, like we said, and getting in, nearly getting into altercations. Nick and Carly get into an argument because he feels like she ratted him out to the cops when he stole a car, etc., etc., just some character development. We very cheaply get this moment later where we learn that it wasn't him that stole a car. He was, like, covering for a buddy. Oh, yeah. And it's funny because they build him up as such an asshole here, but that in that one moment later is supposed to be like, okay, Nick's a good guy, and yeah. <laughs> now we're totally on his side, and he never yeah. acts like a dick ever again. Right. <laughs> He's a good guy now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they're all camping out here. A truck pulls up, shining its headlights on all of them. And they don't really know what's going on, and eventually Nick throws a beer bottle at the truck, shattering one of its headlights. 
The truck eventually pulls away, and the gang passes the night peacefully, even though everyone's like, most of them are like, Nick, what the hell did you do that for? And, you know, one of the other dudes is like, yeah, my man. <laughs> uh, yeah. The next day, they realize they've accidentally slept until 2 p.m., and on top of that, Wade's car has a mysteriously broken fan belt. I would props to anybody who can sleep until 2 p.m. on their first night of camping. Right. <laughs> that was a shock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do you just accidentally sleep in until 2? Like, I don't know. They were, they were drinking pretty heavily, maybe. I, that, that might have had some... Yeah, that's true. But yeah, bacon in the heat of the sun in Louisiana. It, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so they're running late. The car has a broken fan belt. While they're deciding what to do, Carly starts following her nose to some horrible smell coming from the woods, and she accidentally tumbles into a pile of bloodied dead animals. And the gang sees a truck pull up and a dude throwing more dead animals on the pile. They end up starting a conversation with him because, why not? And when they <laughs> ask where they can find a fan belt, he offers to give them a ride to the nearest gas station. The gang decides that most of them will stick to the plan and try to make it to the game, but Wade will stay because he doesn't want to leave his car, and his girlfriend Carly decides to stay with him. So the two of them ride to town with this creepy roadkill collector. You think he's pretty creepy? I think anybody who's dragging a bunch of dead animals into a pile and then stepping on them to like walk over to a separate area is pretty creepy. What do you think is happening to those dead animals that are like roadkill? Like someone's picking those up, right, and throwing them in a pile, presumably? Yeah, I mean, the city comes and gets those, or, yes. you know, the state highway, Some someone contracting with some municipality is doing that. So how do you know he wasn't contracting with the municipality? He very I, I think it was just, well might oh. have been, but I think it was basically he didn't have the city of so-and-so printed on his truck. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> they do creepy. with those, but I'd be pretty surprised that they put them all in an open pit in the woods. Ah, uh, sure, sure. I don't know. I, I felt like there was like a lot of judgment here on this guy who's like just trying to help them out. Uh, and yeah, maybe he was just uh, the, the guy who does the pickup on the highways and doesn't know where to put them. So he just throws them in this little pit he found. And one of the, I think Nick admonishes the his buddy Dalton because he's like, hey, you clean like shitters for a living. Oh, yeah, right. Exactly. But he's like, yeah, but I wouldn't ever walk through it. It <laughs> <laughs> was a good point. I think it's not necessarily that they're like, oh, he's got to be a creep, but they they see what they think is a human hand in the pile. And instead of just being like, oh, my God, this guy murdered somebody and threw them in the pile, too, they go, hey, do you see that? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. And he walks over to And him. then she yeah. changes her shirt within sight of him. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Another bold move. Not... I don't care what he's dragging into a pile. You don't just change your shirt in front of a stranger you just met. Yeah, yeah. On a backwoods detour. Yeah. (laughs) That was an odd decision. Yeah. So most of the game goes to this football game. uh, So we'll be with Wade and Carly for a while now. But for future reference, there's all these, a lot of cutting away to different groups throughout this movie. But when the rest of the gang tries to make it to the game, they get stuck in traffic and eventually turn around and come back later that night to try to meet up with Wade and Carly. That happens later. For now, we're with Wade and Carly as the dude is driving them driving them into town. And he forgets that the road is kind of washed away slash interrupted by a full-blown creek to get into town. So he's like, oh, I'll get out and change the tires and we'll do this. And Carly and Wade are freaked out. Like, how could you forget that this road dead ends? 
And they're like insisting he let them out. He's starting to make them uncomfortable. They don't believe him that there's a town just around the bend since they seem like they're in the middle of nowhere. And they get out and walk, but sure enough, once they cross the stream, the town is right there, and they start to feel a little bit bad for assuming he was lying. To your credit, Ashvin. Maybe we should have given the fellow more credit. Yeah, I agree. They poke around town for Bo, who they've been told owns the gas station, and when they pop their heads into a church, because the gas station is deserted, like trying to just find somebody to ask a question, it becomes clear that they're interrupting a funeral. They immediately step back outside, and when one of the men attending the funeral steps out to have a cigarette, they learn that this is, in fact, Bo, and he says he'll meet them at the gas station in 30 minutes once the funeral has wrapped up. So, while Wade and Carly wait for Bo, they come across a wax museum and sneak into it, even though the sign on the door says that it's closed. Everything in there is made of wax, even the walls and floors, apparently. And as they look around, they notice that most of the sculptures are covered in cobwebs, and many of them are signed Vincent. They also come across two old high chairs, one of which has the name Vincent on it, and the name on the other one is mostly obscured from view, but could you read what it said? I thought it said Bo. It did say Bo. I couldn't tell if it was like, sometimes with older films, pre-like really good TVs, it was like, people aren't supposed to see this, but... yeah. You can, so I didn't <laughs> know if, that, if we were meant to see it or not. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Um, I wonder why there are high chairs in the middle of the wax museum, but doesn't Maybe they were made out of wax. <laughs> What's that? Maybe they were made out of Maybe wax. Maybe they were made out of wax. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, so while they're exploring the wax museum, Carly sees a creepy face in the window outside, but they're not sure what it was. And this is the first uh, like jump scare of the movie, but did it get you, Ash? Uh, no. Oh, yeah, it did actually a little bit. Did yeah. it get you a little bit? Okay. Yeah. Here's another yeah, area where I thought the score kind of failed. It was, like, timed poorly. Oh, okay, I, okay, I, yeah. I think the jump scare could have worked a bit more had they just timed it out a little better. Sure. It was also, like, in the daytime. Uh, I, I wonder if that kind of uh, minimizes the, the scare. Yeah, sure. If I'm in a deserted wax museum in the daytime and I see a creepy face, yeah, I'm not faced. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've all been there. Yawn. Anyway, they eventually make their way back down to the gas station where they meet Bo, and they realize that they don't have the right part in stock at the gas station that they need for Wade's car, but Bo says he's got it up at his house, so they ride with him to his house. During this time, he tells them the story of the wax museum, how it was run by a woman who eventually fell ill and went crazy, the father, a surgeon who got in some trouble for doing surgeries on the side, then killed himself, uh, leaving their twin sons as orphans. And when they get to the house, Wade heads in with Bo because he has to use the restroom while Carly waits in the car. But the tension rises when Carly exits the car and realizes that one of the headlights is smashed, meaning this is the guy who showed up to their campsite last night. Meanwhile, inside the house, all the lights go out on Bo and he's trying to fend off an attacker that cuts through his calf with a pair of scissors. Oh, Wade, right? Did I say Bo? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. It's Wade. Wade is in the house and the lights go out on him. And he's attacked. Yeah. Yeah. Bo. Dude, that was a uh, that was gross. Yeah. Uh, like yeah, first first kind of like a cut here on on the on the heel. I like this scene because it's the lights go out and I, I feel like so often with modern movies, old man complaint. I actually I see a lot of people complaining about this. They're just way too dark. So mm. here we can still see Wade, but we know the lights have gone out and he can't see anything. So he's fumbling yeah. around even though we can see him. The lighting is just more dim yeah that's really cool yeah i liked it too 
uh wade uh he's got such a he's like broken into like four places in this like in like the last like 20 minutes just like walking to the gas station walking to the wax museum even here he's just like he went there to use the restroom and he's just like wandering around this guy's place on his own touching everything uh, yeah i was kind of really starting to hate this guy so I was, I was glad when he started to get cut up a bit yeah i mean if you're talking about movies where they're the characters make the worst decisions. 2005 House of Wax could be could be up on the charts. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of bad decisions happening here. Indeed. Um, and this guy, the person we see like attacking him in the dark seems to be wearing a mask, uh, like a, a wax mask. And Wade mm-hmm. eventually gets knocked unconscious. And when he comes to, he's in a saw-like contraption. His injuries are getting sewn up and he's being covered with wax. And here, uh, the score, I think, colossally fails in my mind because it seems like it's pretty much trying to ape the Saw score. And it's like this dun, dun, dun. But it literally has people in the score saying, bomb, bomb, bomb. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like voices going like, bomb, bomb, bomb. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and not, not quite so heavy handed as that, but. Yeah, it's, it's like the, a choir or it's something? It's there. It's kind of like a choir, but it really, it does not work. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, Carly has locked herself in the car, and when Bo comes out, she refuses to get out until Wade exits the house. Bo bashes in the window, and a chase scene happens between the two of them. She runs away into the town, and all the town's lights come on at once. She takes refuge in the church, hoping she can ask someone for help. But now she sees that the funeral scene they walked in on before is fake. All the attendees are wax, and there is recorded audio of people crying, like playing in the church to make it sound like a funeral. And she tries to hide among the pews from Bo, but he eventually captures her and takes her back to a lair beneath his gas station where he glues her mouth shut. What did you think of that with the funeral scene being all wax people? That was really cool. Uh, I was wondering that when they showed it the first time, because, uh, yeah, it did show, like, the father, and he was, like, looking at the door, but, like, he wasn't moving at all. Oh, so, I didn't catch that. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I had a sneaky suspicion about that. Uh, and then I think while she's at the funeral at, the, at that place, she also, like, bumps into the arm, and it pops out. And I think at that point we realized that, it, it, was that telling us that there are bodies under the wax? Yeah, right. She, she hits a statue, and its arm falls off with, like, blood within so yeah it, yeah hinting to the fact that these might be people underneath the wax right yeah yeah that's that's, that's cool uh, i i like this I, I thought it was a really cool uh chase sequence and then yeah the blood on the lips uh does he do anything else to her here or does that come later i think so from my memory of this scene he basically like he's gonna do whatever to her he's super glued her mouth shut but he's yeah. interrupted when her brother nick arrives at the gas station looking for her Oh, yeah. And he, like, comes out in the gas station parking lot telling Nick, like, I have never seen her or Wade. Like, I don't, you know, no one came around here. Mm -hmm. But Carly gets her lips unglued and screams for help. And she sticks her fingers up through a sewer grate. And then Bo, kind of, like, shielding that from view, cuts off her fingertip with bolt cutters. Yeah. Which seemed like a bad decision knowing that she's making noise now. Like, she's going Uh to scream when that happens. Oh, actually, uh, I think it was the reverse because she couldn't scream. Then she's like sticking up her finger through there and he cuts the finger and now she's got the blood coming out of there and she uses that to dissolve the uh, super glue and that's how she's able to scream, right? I could have sworn she just pulled her mouth apart 
on, on like basically on her own. Maybe she used some blood, but she I, her mouth is open. I'm pretty sure when he cuts the fingers off. Because I remember thinking she's, she's just going to scream louder when you do that. Why would you do that? Oh, oh, yeah. Because I don't think she did scream when her finger got cut, cut off because her, her mouth was still sunshine. And then Nick starts to walk. Or is Nick is Nick her brother? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He starts to walk away, and in that time, now like her fingers bleeding, she puts it to her lips, and then is able to pull her lips apart, and then she yells, "Nick!" That's like the first thing he hears versus like her screaming, right? Maybe I'm confused. What you're saying sounds more plausible. I think so, because uh, otherwise, I think the super glue is holding it tight. But that was a really bold move, like right in front of the brother, just like yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna like, snap finger his off. finger off. And <laughs> yeah, no one's gonna notice. Yeah, that was crazy. Uh, okay, so yeah, then. Nick is tipped off. Something's going on. They get into some fisticuffs, Nick and Bo. And then Nick and Carly manage to escape Bo for the time being. But before we continue with Nick and Carly's trajectory, some side characters have to die. So while this is happening, their friend... Is it Daryl? No. I think it's Dalton. Probably. Some guy with a D name has been exploring the Wax Museum looking (laughs) for Wade and Carly. And he finds Wade. Which, you know, that's a win, but Wade is sitting oddly still and can only move his eyes. And so when I've got this guy's name written down as Daryl with an E, then Daryl with a Y, and then Dalton. <laughs> Dalton is definitely uh, the right name. <laughs> oh, jeez. I don't yeah. believe anything I say in this episode, guys. <laughs> anyway, so when Dalton realizes Wade's covered with wax, he tries to peel it off, but he's removing chunks of Wade's skin with it. And Dalton is then attacked by the man wielding a knife who attacked Wade earlier, who by now we've come to learn is Vincent, uh, the other twin. And uh, Vincent takes a swing with a knife, but Dalton dodges it and ends up gorily slicing off a portion of Wade's face. Another cool moment, I thought. Yeah, I agree. This this is cool. The, the effects on him pulling the wax off of uh, Wade... And like it revealing skin, that was, that was really messed up. Yeah, some good KNB work. Here. Yeah, yeah, those guys are awesome. Doesn't he get beheaded here, uh, Dalton? Yeah, so Vincent pursues him and eventually ends up decapitating him with what looks like a pair of garden shears or something. Oh, and yeah. And we see him brutal. blink after his head rolls away. Yeah. Vincent then makes his way to the campground where Paris Hilton's character Paige is camping with her boyfriend Blake. And Vincent kills Blake and pursues Paige to an abandoned factory or something where he eventually throws some sort of spear-type projectile through two car windows and then through the front and back of her head. And she slumps over, uh, partially held up by the spear that has impaled her. What did you think of that kill? I thought that's pretty oh. implausible physics-wise, oh. <laughs> but but still pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, very, very like over the top, but I thought I thought it looked awesome. Uh, that was a great like kind of cat and mouse chase. It was between the two of them, and the kill of her boyfriend Blake. It's not really made like a spectacle. It's more about her like finding his body, but mm. it's kind of cool there because he's got a knife in his neck, and Vincent just like steps on the knife as he walks oh, by yeah. to like finish him off, kind of. Yeah, all of these kills are so brutal. It's a pretty brutal movie. Um, that mm-hmm. is definitely its strength. Oh, what else did I want to... I wanted to ask you something here. Oh, is my memory correct, or does Vincent briefly videotape Paige's dead body with the camera he's stolen from the kid's campsite after this spear projectile thing? Yeah, I don't remember that. I remember uh, someone videotaping earlier 
Um, and I know, like, yeah, they stole the videotape, but I, yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah, I can't, I can't trust myself anymore now. I don't know that wax burns. I don't know <laughs> who Daryl is. Yeah. Okay. With an e or yeah. So now that some people have died, we come back to Nick and Carly, who are being pursued through this town by Bo, and they have learned that the town is entirely populated by wax figures who are actually human corpses with layers of wax on top. They make their way into a theater screening the movie Whatever Happened to Baby Jane from 1962, which I think might be on our request list. Oh, it's a horror film? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And they try to hide among the wax patrons. When Bo enters, Nick is able to shoot him with a crossbow that he's just stolen from an abandoned hunting store. And it seems as if they've now killed Bo, but they, of course, don't do a double tap and we're all pretty sure he's going to come back later. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) yeah why not just kill him right it's so frustrating even now i'm just like i know this is the way movies work but it's Mm. so very dumb to just assume someone's dead yeah yep carly and nick retreat to the wax museum where they uncover newspaper clippings and other documents that tell us that vincent and Bo were conjoined twins at birth and their dad separated them in a controversial surgery and vincent's face was joined to Bo, so vincent was disfigured and as a result, has worn a wax mask since his birth. Is it odd to you that their mom and Vincent himself have made these impeccable wax sculptures, but cannot make anything but a very crude and terrible mask for Vincent to <laughs> <For> wear? Vincent. <laughs> like his mask looks terrible, but they're making yeah. like this incredible art everywhere else. Oh man, was his mask what uh, the mother was making in the beginning at the table? I don't know. She was making multiple molds, I thought. So uh, okay, I just assumed okay. that was for the museum. But yeah, yeah, no, that's a really good point. Yeah, you'd expect a much better craftsmanship there uh, versus like a, yeah, a janky mask. Yeah, I think they decided janky was scarier. Yeah. So Vincent and Bo both return to the wax museum, and Nick and Carly hide. And we overhear Nick and Bo talking, and Bo says his sculptures are way better now that. Vincent's sculptures are way better now that they use actual dead people and mom would be so proud of his art. She always said your talent would make up for what God took away from you. And we also learned that in that opening sequence, Vincent was the beloved son and Bo was the one who was strapped to his high chair and abused. What do you think that means from an implication standpoint? I don't really know. I think it's just trying to tell us like, even though we're scared of Vincent, Bo is really the bad kid and the evil force here who's kind of having vincent do his bidding because he was a difficult baby yeah right yeah. <laughs> if you're a difficult baby you grow up to be a murderer and tell your brother yeah. to murder and even though he was a good kid he'll murder anyway yeah exactly <laughs> of course yeah. Bo and vincent discover carly and nick and a chase slash battle ensues i think Bo and nick battle it out in the basement where nick accidentally starts a fire before killing Bo. And then on the first floor, Carly and Nick together kill Vincent, who falls through the floor into the basement, landing on top of Bo. And there's a scene here where Carly is smashing either Bo or Vincent's face with a baseball bat. Mm-hmm. And man, it looks really cool. Like, props to cinematographer, I think it's Stephen F. Winden and KNB, because this is just a particularly awesome moment where the camera follows Carly's bat up and then back down onto his face multiple times for multiple swings with oh, the yeah. face just getting like bloodied up gorier yeah. and bloodier each time and it's just brutal and looks really good was that on Bo or on vincent i can't remember 
Oh, okay. I think it might have been on Bo before, like, Vincent chases them up the stairs or something. I, I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, the reason that Vincent fell through the floor is that, uh, lest you forget, everything in this house of wax is made of wax, even the structural components of the building. So this fire is basically making the house fall apart. So the climax is made even more climactic by the fact that it's simultaneously burning and melting all around Carly and Nick as they desperately try to find a way out from the ever-changing shape that is the building. They eventually break the wax and crawl out right through the big house of wax sign that hangs above the front door. And I'm wondering if this climax got a bit silly to you with the entire house melting in CGI or if it works. Like, for me, it's almost amazing, but ends up being a little bit silly. What did oh, you think? Yeah. I, I liked it. I thought it gave, like, a very unique texture to the film. Sure. And uh, in the space out there, and like, yeah, yeah, when have we ever seen something like this in a, in a movie? Like, someone, uh, the walls and the floor and everything's just, like, kind of melting under you, or and you can, like, kind of, like, pull your weight through the wall. I, I thought it was a cool uh, visual, and you could kind of, like, uh, feel it a bit. Yeah, it is. It's a cool visual. I think it looks a little CGI heavy, but it is a cool idea. But then I just got hung up on the practicalities of an entire building being made of wax. And yeah, how and then that... wax like doesn't burn. So like, why that would happen? Right, right. Well, yeah, how could this wax be burning? <laughs> yes, makes sense. And this, of course, is the origin of my spam joke. There really is a spam <laughs> museum in Minnesota. But oh, there is. Yeah, I've never been. Oh, cool. Is spam like a big uh, Minnesota thing? I don't know, to tell you the truth. Mm. I've yeah. never eaten it. Have you? Uh, I think I've had it in like Hawaiian cuisine. Mm. Um, I th- or, or maybe Filipino cuisine too. Uh, yeah, I've never had it like straight out of a can, but sometimes I know like uh, you'll go to like a, a restaurant and like they'll use it in some dishes and it'll be pretty good. All right, interesting. Yeah. All right, eventually the police come on the scene and Carly and Nick are safe and sound, but Nick makes sure to steal his friend's camera from the crime scene just in case there's anything good on it. Do you feel like there was supposed to be a subplot with this camera? They were using it kind of a lot in the first act. Yeah. And then I, I do feel like I swore Vincent was filming like Paige's death with it. It's just like they try to make it a thing a few times and then... Just to bother that he would, like, steal it Ask from the it, police yeah. here. Yeah. Was, I assume that it had something to do with, like, a sequel or something. Like, if they were trying to set up a, a future mm. installment, maybe, like, something in the camera caught something. Um, but I know they, they kind of leave... Like, then there's, like, another outstanding item, too, right, that pops up here? There is, yeah. So just as things are wrapping up, we overhear one of the police officers saying that, hey, the people that own the Wax Museum didn't just have two sons, they had three and we see the roadkill guy waving to Nick and Carly as the ambulance takes them out of town. So, mm. so it's implied he's the third kid? He's the third kid. But yeah. I don't know really what else that does other than maybe lets you know the threat isn't over. But assuming this guy doesn't have a talent for making wax figures, then I, I think he's shit out of luck. <laughs> he's got to find someone who <laughs> can do that, yeah. Uh, yeah, though I don't, I, yeah, I, to, to me, like the camera in, in that, uh, third son kind of, uh, makes it seem like there's, there were plans for a sequel, but I, I didn't see anything about a sequel, did you? No, and I just don't know what the, the camera, even so, if there are plans for a sequel, it just feels like something maybe was left on the cutting room floor. Like, yeah. an idea that was once more fully fleshed out that ended up not making it to the final sure. product. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm sure there's like an uncut version, right? Which might have more there on the camera. Um, maybe, maybe. I'm not sure. Hmm. Yeah, that was kind of weird for it to pop up at the end. Yeah, very strange. Um, what did you think of this thing? Uh, I, I think you called out the highlights. Like the kills were so good. The effects on the kills uh, looked great, and the concept is so cool of uh, killers who like trap their victims, kind of like alive under wax, like the. the I don't know how, how that works, but that looks awesome. Uh, and yeah, the, the gore I thought was really well done and good, decent pacing. So I, I thought it had some things going for it. What about you? Yeah, I mean, using real people to be the wax figures is not uh, not new in the adaptations. Um, okay. But I think the concept that really stood out to me was like this abandoned town that they've made to look real and set up these wax scenes and even have a woman like mechanically operated who like peeks out a window every once in a while yeah yeah and they've got the lights a light switch that controls the whole town i mean seems implausible but it that kind of expanded the lore for me and was something new to add to this sure this story it's like a really messed up uh, disney world in a way it's like a tiny town you've built out of like dead bodies and fake uh, shows yeah and it's weird there's a uh the following year, in one of the movies we've already brought up, the Hills Have Eyes remake, they kind of have a uh, deserted uh, town populated with like mannequins and that. So, oh yeah, right, similar right. similar concept. Yep. But yeah, these uh, kills are excellent. That is the major highlight of the movie for me. Is, are they good enough to overcome the other flaws? The weaknesses, yeah. So, what yeah. are some of the weaknesses in your mind? Uh, I thought the dialogue was terrible. The characters kind of sucked, in my opinion. Uh, acting wasn't, like, that great. Um, yeah, that was pretty much the the gist of it. What about you? Yeah, the dialogue wasn't good. And also the dialogue, the sound engineers seemed to not do a good job with the dialogue recordings. I don't know if you noticed this, but people are kind of hard to hear, and they're, like, echoey in places where there shouldn't be an echo. Oh, wow. It, it just I didn't pick up on that. felt kind of cheaply or unprofessionally done there. I don't... Yeah. Um, were you uh, watching on your headphones? Or do you, were you yeah. listening to it on your headphones? Yeah, oh, okay, same okay. setup as usual. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't catch that. But yeah, specifically, also some of the lines are bad. There's a scene where Nick is repeating a line that Carly had said to him earlier in the film where he's like, why do you have to be so damn stubborn? And <laughs> it feels like it like pains Chad Michael Murray to even say it because he's like, this doesn't work here in the yeah. script. It's so forced. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, the characters are pretty one-dimensional, aren't they? They are, yeah. And they try to flesh things out more. They try to go hard on this twin theme with Carly and Nick being twins and Vincent and Bo being twins. But other than reminding us a few times that they're all twins, they don't really (laughs) do anything with that. Like, it doesn't go anywhere. So between that and the videotaping, it just feels like there's some stuff, there are some ideas here that never really got fully fleshed out or driven home, kind of. Yeah. Oh, For sure. Paris Hilton's character might be pregnant. That never yeah. goes anywhere. It's like right. they went out of their way to include some elements that they just never bothered bringing bringing home to roost kind of exactly uh same with like the whole move like she was moving to new york right Did that have like any bearing on the story at all or Not, it seems like everything just kind of fell away when it, it pretty much started. fell away when they first come across the small town there's some discussion between her and wade where she's like oh yeah you like small towns like yeah and that's kind of maybe a tense moment of like will he move to new york with me but that 
again, that's like it's, it feels like they're setting up a drama there between like, oh, I want I'm going to New York and will he move with me? It yeah, never goes anywhere. Doesn't go anywhere. Even like uh, your your main characters, if if they are the twins, uh, they're coming from like a lot of friction between them. But like, I'm not sure if it's really resolved at the end. I mean, just because they survive together, uh, have they worked through like their issues? Right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And. She also doesn't really mourn, mourn Wade's death at all for oh, a guy yeah. she's really hoping to move to New York. And I know most that happens in most horror movies, but yeah, yeah, just a lot of stuff that doesn't uh, doesn't seem to matter anymore once once the action starts happening. Yeah, and then yeah, it's hard to know because like the action is so good. Uh, are we as the audience just like cool with that because like the you know this, this new direction the movie's taking is is awesome? Yeah, we don't need to come back to the shitty like setup. Or do you find yourself at the end like wondering like, oh man, I, I wish I knew more about them or something? I, yeah, I guess I wouldn't say like, oh, I wish I knew more about them, but it does. You can kind of feel the clunkiness of it as it's all happening. Like yeah, right before Paris dies, she's about to bring up the like pregnancy thing, <laughs> and it's just like. <laughs> Okay, what was the point of even bothering with that? Yeah. Like, I know you're supposed to flesh out characters, but if you never really do anything with it, it, it feels kind of shallow. Yeah, it's, it feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah. Because uh, it would have been cool to pull those things through the, to the end. Yeah, or I thought maybe she'd get, like, the projectile through her belly. Belly? Which would have oh. been pretty mean and brutal, but at least then yeah. it would, like, have meant something that she yeah. was pregnant. Yeah, that would be really cool. Uh, sick fuck, Ash. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I set that trap for you. <laughs> Thanks. I thought the first act was angering, like so frustrating too. Just with all these like douchey kids, like yeah. almost getting in fights <laughs> as we listen to Disturbed. It's just like, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, soundtrack throughout was was hard to stomach. Uh, I think it ends on like a My Chemical Romance song, and uh, I don't know. Yeah, none of it really felt necessary. I'm so sorry to the fans of this genre of music. I feel like we've insulted it multiple times over the years. And <laughs> Every, like, 2000s movie we do. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I'm always saying how embarrassed I am by that part point in our culture. But I did like a lot of the music back then, so yeah, I can't judge. Yeah, same, same. It's so weird. Like, it sounded pretty cool back then. But, like, I was trying to imagine, like, oh, what would make me feel really excited to hear this song at this point? And uh, I couldn't figure it out. It just doesn't age. It doesn't age. That culture... Our culture doesn't age well from that time period. Yeah, yep. Except for the kills; those uh, those aged very well. What the? Oh yeah, the kills did. Yeah, because they're all like practical effects, right? Yeah, I presume most of them. Yeah. So it looks really good. It does look really good, and I think the cinematography, though it doesn't always stand out. Like, wow, look at that shot! I think a lot of times when you have really good kills in a movie, depending on the movie, you know, but. That often means there's some really cool photography to go along with it mm. and to pull off things like, oh, he slashed at Dalton but missed and cut off a chunk of his face. Like, oh, yeah. I think that takes some decent photography and editing to make that cool. Yeah. Yeah, right. Really great action sequences. Yeah. And, and like, so varied. It didn't feel, like, very repetitive at all. It didn't feel repetitive. Like, when I think about the kills, like, Wade has, is covered in wax and then gets part of his face sliced off we just assume he ultimately dies dalton gets beheaded blake gets stabbed through the neck when his and the guy steps on the knife then paris yeah. gets impaled through the yeah. head like it's a 
Yeah, varied kills. And then the bad guy, one of them gets his face smashed in with a baseball bat from Carly. So. Right. Yeah. Right. Very good kills. Uh, yeah. Not only are the kills good, but like you said, they, they don't start to feel repetitive. They're all yeah. creative and kind of make sense within their own setting. It's not like they're going out of their way to make some extravagant kill, but at the same time, it's there's nothing ho-hum about it. Sure. Yep. I think uh, another weakness, the villains, like as much as awesome as the kills were that they uh, executed, the villains didn't feel like that built out or scary. Like, I mean, one wore a mask, which is kind of a cool visual. But uh, did you feel like Bo was scary as a character? I didn't. That was, I agree. The villains were a little off. I don't think Brian Van Holt gave the best performances, Bo. Like, okay. it could have been more menacing, but he also didn't have much to work with. Like, it's a cool yeah. concept of this wax museum went to hell and the orphaned brothers like kind of bastardized it and made it their own sick twisted version and now they have this deserted town like that concept is cool but yeah those characters are just weird and it's kind of i wish they had just not gone into as much detail because it's like oh, they're twins and one's good and one's bad, but they're both <laughs> killing people and our heroes yeah. are twins, but one's good and one's bad. It yeah. just, it was something that they tried to <laughs> intermingle, but it was just felt like, you know, two yeah. fists, I'm bumping two fists together for Austrian. Like, <laughs> none of it Doesn't jived. It just, yeah. Were we, as the audience, supposed to like empathize with Vincent at the end? Uh, I kind of felt like she was like, saying like you don't have to like do everything he tells you to or something or you don't have to, it doesn't have to be this way yeah then that felt kind of forced too like the dude's been chasing people around killing them the whole movie like yeah i don't think he's <laughs> just a victim here yeah he's got some agency yeah yeah so yeah i think there was it's kind of a shame because there's a lot that's exciting here but there's a lot that really kind of stinks too mm-hmm. yeah i agree Anything else before we get the rating? Um, no, I think he hit everything uh, I had. So yeah, I'm ready for you to jump in the rating. All right, uh, zero to five conjoined twins. What do you give this movie? Ooh, uh, I think I'm gonna go two and a half uh, conjoined twins. Uh, I think awesome, amazing kills, uh, tight pacing, and the feeling of wax uh, was really unique. And like I thought they they portrayed that really well. But I felt like the story and the cast, much like the victims in this film, were buried under uh, some wax. <laughs> and this not a lot of expression coming through there. But yeah, what about you? <laughs> nice. Yeah, I pretty much agree. But I gave it a three out of five conjoined twins, which I think would probably be triplets at that point. But uh. I think despite its annoyingly angsty teen dialogue and incomplete thematic elements, it successfully expands the legacy of the Waxworks story with interesting ideas and entertainingly grotesque moments. So, on the end, I'm up on it, but yeah, there's some elements of it that really bother or keep yeah. me from enjoying it as much as I could. Sure. It was an entertaining film, for sure. It goes I, I big. It, I'll give yeah. it that. And with that budget, what was it, 40 million or 40, something? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. You don't think they built, actually, like a, a wax museum out of wax for this? Um, that's a good question. How much did they build out of wax? I probably uh, a decent amount. There's no way they built an entire wax building and then burnt it down. So there's there, yeah. definitely CGI there. But uh, okay, I don't know. When we were talking in the beginning about like uh, these guys getting in trouble for fire, 
uh, hazards. I, I thought maybe uh, there was it was this building like they actually burned it down or something. Right. I mean, I think it was a combination of a lot of realism and real practical effects with visual effects as well. Yeah. Do you think uh, Paris deserved the Razzies here? I don't honestly like. It's not a great performance, but it's certainly not bad. There's yeah, there's nothing particularly cringy about it. She's just another average actor in an average slasher role. Like yeah, totally. To and I think that's kind of like just pop culture going out of its way to disparage Hilton because it's fun. Exactly. Like yeah, she really didn't deserve a Razzie. Yeah, yeah, I think some of the male actors in this were a lot worse than she was. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Cool. Uh, anything else, buddy? That's all I got. Okay, well, that has been our discussion on House of Wax. Thank you for recommending it, everybody. We're really we're starting to make our way through some of these requests. Still about 199 to go. Um, if you want to connect with us or if you want to request a movie, you can go to horrormovieclub.com, click on the social links drop down. You'll find links to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram there. You'll also find a link to our Discord server where we've got a great community of listeners and horror movie fans. You can jump on and chat. There's always a conversation going about horror movies on there. If you want to support the show financially and get uh, access to bonus episodes, you can go to patreon.com slash horrormovieclub or just click on the big orange Patreon button on horrormovieclub.com. And for a dollar a month, you can gain access to bonus content. And until next time, uh, never compromise your own moral integrity or a building's structural integrity for the sake of your art. <laughs> Not worth it. Or, or your novelty food item. No. <laughs> Too risky. Uh, okay. <laughs> Too risky. Even if wax isn't flammable at all, <laughs> I still wouldn't do it. All right. All right. Good note. <laughs> Man, wax, me and wax is like you in the baseball pit. <laughs> just making up rules <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just yeah you gotta sell it yeah <laughs> <laughs>